The midterm elections are just weeks away. Their outcome could define not only the course of government over the next two years, but also the course of democracy in the United States well beyond November. We are previewing the midterm elections today with our political experts, Dr. Sarah Fisher, a professor of political science at Emory and Henry College, and Joe Batana, a regular contributor to WEHC. They are joining me online today. Thank you, Joe and Sarah, for being with me today. Thanks for having us. Good to be here. After we spend some time talking about the midterms and their implications, I want to see if the two of you will have some projections about how they will turn out. But before we get into that, I'm hoping that you can help the listeners understand what are the key issues um, uh, before these midterm elections. And I want to start with you, Joe. What do you think are perhaps the top two or three issues that uh, are before voters this November, and what do you think their implications will be for the midterms? Well, I think one of the ones that's um, certainly important, at least for for a a large segment of the uh, voting population, uh, is the issue of um, of abortion and the and the abortion decision that came out of the Supreme Court a few months ago. And uh, that certainly is is mobilizing a lot of support. Democratic candidates um, around the country, uh, and and really has rejuvenated the um, the 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 campaigns on the on the on the on the blue side of the, the equation. Uh, the second is the the economy, inflation, uh, the possibility of a recession, and um, whether whether the whether the fault lies there or not. Historically, voters have blamed uh, the the party in the White House for economic downturns, and um, and uh, those those would be two. Perhaps the third one would be the um, the whole reaction to the uh, January sixth, uh, the the Trump effect, and uh, I'm I'm seeing ads even uh, you know saying that we we need to vote. We need to this vote will will in part, help us to prevent something like that from happening again. Sarah, what do you think? I was just going to say, I totally agree with Joe. I think that just to broaden it a little bit, I think the central question of this midterm is what is salient to people when they go to the polls? So what do people care about? Why are they going to the polls? Why are they voting for some either a particular person or a party? Um, And I think that, you know, the battle that we're sort of we're going to see is over what is this election about, mm-hmm. right? Is it about the Dobbs decision? Is it about whether Trump is going to run again? Is it about inflation in the economy, right? So I think whatever turns out to be salient, and that's not going to be the same for everyone, right? So, but I think that the key sort of rhetorical and electoral battle is going to be over what is salient to voters. Joe had mentioned that the typically the party in power, I guess especially if the economy is bad, uh, tends to lose votes in yes. midterm election. I'm wondering if in this year it's not about party, but it's perceived who has the power. And in the, in the, the case of the Dobbs decision, it seems like it may be a power overreach on a branch of the government that does not usually figure into the midterms, and that's the Supreme Court. Is that going to be perhaps how voters might perceive this? They like to balance 
things out in midterm elections, perhaps, but now they're not balancing the executive branch against the legislative branch. It's more an attempt to balance against the judicial branch. Does that have any um, sense to it, Sarah? I mean, maybe. I think that, um, I mean, presidential, the party who controls the presidency almost always loses seats in the midterms. Um, and I think that the the issue of abortion has been a very successful one for Republicans to get people to the polls for a very long time. Um, and I think that given what happened in Kansas, for example, for a um, particular vote on abortion issues, and given the what looks to be large numbers of people registering after the Dobbs decision um, and looking like they're going to vote Democratic, like given those issues, right, I think that it's possible to maybe imagine a world in which the Democrats don't lose a bunch of seats. But given the economy, right, like you would expect that the Democrats are clearly going to lose a bunch of seats with concerns over inflation. So uh, that's where I think it really matters what is salient to people. Um, and so that's the big question for me is when voters go to the polls, what are people going to view as the most important issue that they're, you know, casting their ballot for? Joe, did that um, Kansas abortion vote um, surprise you? Uh, the polls, and this is perhaps a reason to doubt the polls this year, one way or the other, the polls before that vote seemed to indicate that the initiative was going to succeed, that Kansas was going to firm up in its constitution rules against abortion, yet it failed miserably. Did that, not only the, the vote, but the, the strength of the opposition surprise you at all? Somewhat, uh, not, not a lot. I, I think that, uh, you know, we, you know, we all we all um, are subject to self-reference criterion and, and and kind of imputing the, the the way we feel about things to to others. And but and I so having said that, um, I think that there's a lot of people that are that are in the in this same place where I find myself. Where um, I think that the you know if perhaps the original Supreme Court decision rolled 50 years ago, maybe it was an overreach by the court at that time. Uh, this one is an overreach in, in the other direction, uh, particularly in the area that, you know, the stereodesis is stereodesis. It's, it's decided. And if you're, if you, if you determine that that is, it's a bad decision, we need to walk away from it. We need to walk, not take a, a leap off the cliff. And, um, and, and so I, I think that, uh, that, that the Kansas decision certainly had some of that in there um, and that the polls were wrong. This doesn't surprise me at all because um the, the polls are going to be based on the percentages of certain types of voters that turned out of the past and, and, and the likelihood that someone that says, I'm for this or against it, is going to actually turn out. And I think that there was way more enthusiasm for the, um, uh, for the, the, the side to, to decide to not strengthen the Constitution of Kansas against abortion, uh, but also the fact that some of the people that maybe would have been expected to vote against it really weren't going to vote against it because even though historically they fit certain voting patterns they didn't not in this issue and so to the extent that that is a a broader 
uh, feeling around the country. And, you know, it may be, you know, Kansas is a, is kind of the, a, a reasonably good predictor state for, for, for trends like that. Um, it's going to, I think it's going to help the Democrats um, pretty significantly in the, in the midterms. It's going to, and a lot of these closed elections might be just enough of a, of a difference in the votes to take it from uh, a, a slight win by the Republican candidate to a slight win by the Democratic candidate. Well, we have noticed in special elections since the Dobbs decision that I guess Democrats have done better in 2022 than they performed in 2020 and 2018. Sarah, do you think that is driven by the Dobbs decision or is that just coincidental? I mean, it's hard to tell, right? The one thing I would caveat for the Kansas, for using Kansas as sort of a bellwether is that I think it's different for Republican legislators, legislators or voters to vote a particular way on one issue, right? So like, do you want an amendment to the constitution versus are you going to turn around if you're generally maybe a middle of the road or a middle of the road Republican voter, are you gonna turn around in this midterm and then vote for a Democrat? That's a different question because it's a candidate and a party rather than an, a single issue in a single vote. Um, and so I would, I guess, moderate the, you know, thoughts that people have for, oh, like this means that the Democrats are going to win, given that I think it's a very different calculus to vote, again, for an amendment versus for a candidate. Joe, I want to ask you, what do you think are the divisions in the Republican Party if they exist right now? Donald Trump has been out on the campaign trail a bit. He's also under investigation. And there's just a lot of Trump in the air right now. But it seems like there's a lot of leaders, perhaps Mitch McConnell, who are really expressing increasingly a reluctance to acknowledge that he's the individual that we should be focusing on. Do you feel that that division is starting to become noticeable? And do you think it is a problem if Donald Trump is raising his head before these midterms? Yeah, I I do think so. Yeah, your initial question is what what is the what are the divisions that are that are happening in the Republican Party? Um, I think there's there's three of them: Donald Trump, Donald Trump, and Donald Trump. Right. I mean, it's it really is. It really there's a there's a, a schism that um, the, the the there are, and I guess there's 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 three there's really three three sides, but the the the, the key division is the fact. Whether we want to, you know, as Republicans, want to continue to talk about the uh, the the big steal uh, in 2020, uh, whether whether we we believe that, whether we um, uh, want to try to do something about it, God only knows what could be done if it were true, um, and, and or do we want to look forward to to different issues, different different uh, candidates, etc. And there, I mean, there's one side that is it is really hard over that the election was stolen, that Donald Trump should still be president, and that uh, we need to we need to get back in office and 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 really investigate this and 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 you know and and another side that that says no, we we it's over. Um, many folks are really, you know, horrified at uh, at what happened on January sixth as a at the very least as a 
um, uh, an inappropriate um, invasion of uh, federal grounds to try to uh, change the outcome of the of the vote in the in you know the ratification of the electoral college, uh, and and that's a pretty that's a pretty clear division. I mean, I, I see I see people. One of to me, one of the things that a little symbolic that I see is people that still have their their Trump signs up from two years ago, and they've uh, put um, black duct tape over Mike Pence's name. You know, and and that that is symbolic of 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 where of where we're at, and and we're seeing a lot of uh, races. So we, here in Wisconsin, we had a very very strong uh, Republican candidate, Rebecca Clayfish, and a um, a Trump endorsed candidate, and he edged her out um, in uh, to Michael's edged her out in the um, in the election, and and that is just a, a, a picture of of what's happening. I think on the national scene. And and that could be very, very bad long term for Republican chances. Sarah, can a party do well in an election when there is such division? I mean, all politics are local, <laughs> and and so you know, and all all these elections that we're talking about are at the state level, and so yeah, I think you can still do well. Um, I do think you know what Joe's talking about as like the division within the Republican Party is about Trump. I think that that's definitely true. Um, there's, I know one candidate at least, um, in Colorado who's running for the Senate seat. So, um, O'Day, who wasn't endorsed by Trump. Um, he, you know, is not an election denier. Um, right. So, and, you know, if he wins, right, maybe there's an argument for, hey, there's this path in the GOP where you can, you know, have these kinds of, um, conversations, but, you know, he's challenging an incumbent. And so it's also very likely that he won't win. Um, so I think that's the division, you know, within the party. Um, and the other one that's been popping up is the issue of whether Trump is going to run again and whether people think that's a good idea. Um, so you've got folks within the Republican Party who sort of quietly right, might say, like, this is a bad idea, right? Um, but another way that I've seen people talking about it lately is the lame duck argument so that if Trump were to run again, that if he won, he would be a lame duck and having a lame duck is not a good plan because, you know, you only have four years to work on policy. So the argument goes, right, we need someone new um, and not Trump to run again um, so that then they won't be subject to the lame duck rule. Um, I think this is really interesting because I think it's essentially a way for Republicans to say they don't like Trump without saying they don't like Trump mm -hmm. um, by saying like the lame duck argument is key. Um, I don't know. I I'm doubtful that that argument will sort of have much traction, um, but that is something that folks have brought up lately um, is sort of the strategic argument for why um, one wouldn't want um, Trump as the uh, headliner for the GOP ticket for the reelection campaign. I'm talking today with Dr. Sarah Fisher. She is a professor of political science at Emory & Henry College and with Joe Batana, a regular contributor to WEHC. We are previewing the midterms and I wanted to turn the subject now to another issue that in recent days has been brought up as I am assuming an attempt to increase Republican enthusiasm for the midterms and that is immigration. And what has been in the headlines recently is the Florida governor's sending of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard. 
And I'm wanting to know from you, Joe, how do you think that plays not only across the board or among Republican base voters, but also perhaps how is that read by Hispanic voters who have been trending Republican? Well, uh, that's a good question, Dirk. And um, the the way that the Hispanic voters that are that are turning in the in the direction of the Republican Party, and that you're seeing some success um, by Republicans uh, in in districts that are that are Hispanic is, you know, you, you you've got to disaggregate the Hispanic vote first of all because it it it's the, and and I know this fairly well because I am Hispanic, right? As, as you know, um, I'm I'm from Cuba, and the the way that Cubans in Miami vote uh, in elections is very different than the way Cuban. Um, Hispanics, or Mexican immigrants, for example, uh, first generation, second generation Mexicans living in, in in Texas, or or immigrants from other places in Cuba living in 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 Florida, vote, and and a lot of a lot of those folks um, are not happy with this policy of uh, just open borders and not having control of the uh, of the border and having you know hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, streaming across. I mean, I, I, I personally know of several people uh, who are who are Cuban immigrants who've come across in the last year via Nicaragua. Okay, and 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 it's and they all know how you do it. Uh, that you it's it's human trafficking 101. There there are folks that uh, that that bring folks from um, from Cuba to Nicaragua and then bring them up through Central America into Mexico. They turn themselves in at the border. And they're they're shipped somewhere in the United States, and uh, and and they're they're in. So the the border is not under control, and a lot of people, a lot of Hispanics, from all of those groups are not happy about that because of some of the 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 issues that it brings uh, in their in their communities, and so the the fact that uh, that Republican uh, governors are are doing something to the extent they have the ability to do something about it. Uh, Probably plays reasonably well, and and secondly, the fact that the uh, that the the uh, the party in power is not really addressing the issue very effectively um, plays in the same direction. So I my, my sense at least is it, it doesn't hurt them with uh, with that that voter population. But again, I haven't surveyed it, I haven't looked at polls, so I, I'm I'm it's just my my personal read of the situation. Sarah, what is your take on this? Um, Democrats have, of course, accused these governors, these Republican governors of doing it as attempting to distract from other issues like the Dobbs decision. Um, I mean, I, I think this is another example of like the question is what are good people going to vote on in the midterms, right? And so I do think that, you know, I don't think it's a surprise to say that DeSantis is contemplating a run in 2024. Um, and so I think that, you know, part of this is, again, trying to find issues that are going to get people to the polls. Um, And I totally agree with Joe's comment in that, like, Latino voters are not a block, right? Um, And I think similarly, thinking about the Dobbs decision, women are not a block, right? (laughs) That's not a voting block. And so I think that some of this is really sort of trying out different things that uh, we'll see if it sort of works right as a way to get people to the polls um so i think that that's another example of many different options that people are trying to do um to sort of see what works in this political climate 
Um, I am doubtful for whatever it's worth that immigration will be a top, you know, reason, like when you're polling people for like, why did you come to the polls? Um, I'm doubtful that that's going to stick at this point. Um, I think the economy is a way um, more important piece of the story for what candidates are trying to bring up. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. Now it's time in these last few minutes for you to really stick your neck out and do the best that you can to project what you think will happen in the midterms. So I won't hold you to identifying who's going to hold what house, but maybe uh, give us a greater sense of what you think the trends are and what the likelihood uh, is of any particular success in either of the houses by either of the parties. And I guess I'll start with you, Joe. Give us your best prediction of what will happen. Well, the um, um, honestly, I, I'd, be, I'd be lying to you if I told you that I, I had a really, really clear picture of how it's going to turn out because there's still way too many moving uh, pieces in the, in, in the puzzle. Um, the, as Sarah said, the, the, the party in the White House tends to lose seats uh, in, in the midterms. That's generally held. So the Democrats have that going against them. Um, in the, uh, the, the economy right now is, 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 is a difficult issue for them. I mean, and again, whether, whether you, you should rightly attribute blame to them or not, the fact is um, inflation is high. There are, there are signs of possibly a recession. You're starting to hear calls for a recession in, in, in 23. Um, and, and that's gonna work against them further. But um, the right the the trend I see in the uh, congressional preference poll, and again, that's just a, an indicator. The, these elections are all local; they're all at, at the district level. But the 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 congressional preference polls have tended to be a reasonably good predictor of of the movement. Um, the the lead the Republicans have had has been bouncing up and down, but it's that the trend is downward. Which which works well uh, for the Democrats, possibly either retaining control of the House or, or maybe you know, losing it, but having it be very close. Um, in the Senate, it's going to come down to a couple of races, and uh, the the one here in Wisconsin is is uh, is a real bellwether. You have a very um, I'd say very liberal progressive candidate, Mandela Barnes, um, who's running against Ron Johnson, who is one of the most conservative members of the Senate. Uh, and I'm telling you, being here. Um, uh, watching watching the, the the Packers Bears game last night on TV, uh, we we saw more of Ron Johnson and and his uh, proxies and Mandela Barnes and his proxies, uh, along with Tony Evers, because we have that uh, gubernatorial election, uh, than than we saw of Aaron Rodgers, uh, and, um, and and these were very very um, uh, Serbic type ads on both sides. So you know this this is going to come down to it's a it's a very close race. The all the polls, including the the Marquette poll, which is the the the, the bellwether here in Wisconsin, has it within the margin of error, and uh, and so a couple of races like this could really decide whether it's uh, you know fifty one forty nine one way or the other, or we're back to fifty fifty with uh, Vice President Kamala Harris um, casting a deciding vote. Sarah, what are your thoughts? Have you any predictions or anything in the neighborhood of a prediction to make it? <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I enjoy that you ask these questions so we can come on and be wrong later in a few weeks. <laughs> so um, I, 
I mean, I think things are probably going to stay about the same, right? So I think that we would expect for Democrats, again, to lose seats this election. I think, you know, that that would be very much, you know, within a sort of historical precedent for midterms. Um, but I think that I think things are probably going to stay about the same. We're going to have all this analysis, all of this, you know, question. And I think things are probably going to stay about the same. Uh, there may be some surprises and maybe not, but we'll see. And we'll be back to talk about them with Sarah Fisher, the, a professor of political science here at Emory Henry College, and Joe Bacana, a regular political contributor to WEHC. Thank you, both of you, for talking with me today. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. Good talking to you both. You have been listening to Together to Get There, the show dedicated to economic and community development in Southwest Virginia. And I am your host, Dirk Moore. And you have been listening to WEHC 90.7, the voice of Southwest Virginia. Thank you for listening. WEHC connects the people of Southwest Virginia to each other, to their region, and to the world through the airwaves, the internet, and a growing use of podcasts. We take pride in programming that is locally sourced and globally connected. And we hope that you take pride in WEHC, and you will demonstrate that pride through the pledge of a gift. We are seeking to reach, during this fall fundraiser, $50,000 in fundraising. We hope that you will go online to www.wehcfm.com and select Make a Gift to make your support known. We also encourage you to call us at 276-944-6593. That phone number again is 276-944-6593. Support WEHC. Your support helps us provide a valuable learning environment to Emory Henry College students while at the same time serving with wonderful programming the people of our region. Thank you for supporting WEHC, the voice of Southwest Virginia.